The world is really good at making a big deal about a lot of things. The world can take something and turn it into a really, really big deal. The latest Apple product, whether it's the Apple Watch or the new iPhone release that's coming soon, you know it's right around the corner. Well, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. The Super Bowl is a big deal. The NCAA March Madness Tournament is a big deal. The presidential election, it's a big deal. <laughs> it kind of begs the question, what's a big deal? What is a big deal? Well, I got a definition for you here tonight. A big deal, it's something of great importance or consequence. Well, I want to talk to you about something that meets that definition. I want to talk to you about something that is a really, really big deal. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead on that Sunday morning is a big deal. It's something of great importance and consequence. I mean, it's a really big deal. You could say it this way, I don't think there's a bigger deal that exists. This is the biggest deal that there is. Some might say, what's, what's all the fuss? What's all the fuss about Easter? What's all the fuss about all the churches getting, getting all excited and, and getting all their signs and banners out and getting all their services prepared and the invites have gone out and everything is, is all prepared for this Easter weekend? What's all the fuss? What's the big deal? What's not a fuss? It's an important fact of history that has huge ramifications for every single person who will believe on Jesus and put their full hope and faith and trust in him. Amen? So what's the big deal with Jesus' resurrection? The resurrection of Jesus is crucial to you and I being forgiven of our sins. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a guarantee for all those whose faith is in him that they will also be resurrected. What's the big deal about the resurrection? Well, the Apostle Paul answers these questions in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. The resurrection is crucial, and the resurrection is a guarantee. An important truth to understand is that for you and I to live, Jesus must live. In other words, if Jesus, who lived a sinless life, did not overcome death, then we cannot overcome death either. And so, for that reason, and many others, it's a really big deal, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've got two points. We're going to take a look at a few verses here in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12. I've got two points tonight, if you're taking notes. First, the resurrection legitimizes the gospel. The resurrection legitimizes the gospel. Let's pick it up, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and beginning at verse 12. 12. It says this, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. 
For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it legitimizes the gospel. It's, it's, the, it's the linchpin, it's the kingpin, it's the, it's the very fact, it's the very thing that legitimizes the entire message of the gospel truth. What's the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ? The good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus, who is the one-of-a-kind one Son of Almighty God, was sent to earth, lived a perfect life as a man, became the perfect sacrifice for the sins of every man and woman, died on the cross, was buried, and was resurrected on the third day in power and glory, victorious over death. Everything that the gospel says about Jesus, everything that Jesus did on our behalf, is legitimized by the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is addressing here is he's addressing some rumblings in and around the church at Corinth. There were those who were coming in and just kind of bringing up the, the point. that It's not a new point. It wasn't a new point for this particular setting, but it was nonetheless one that was being brought up. There is no such thing as resurrection. No, no one can be resurrected from the dead. I mean, when you're dead, you're dead. You know, they, 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 they put you in the grave and that's it. That's the end of it. And, and, and so Paul is just stepping right into the middle of this question, right into the middle of this debate, and he's saying, look, how is it that, that Jesus is being preached and, and that he's risen from the dead, but there are some that are saying that there, there is no resurrection, that no one can be risen from the dead? I mean, if you take the resurrection of Jesus Christ out of the entire gospel that we preached, it just falls apart. There's nothing, there's no substance to it, there's nothing... Uh, giving it the power and the legitimacy that it has. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, really, you could say it this way, then the gospel is not true. I mean, this is what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 15. He said in verse 13, he said, uh, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. They were denying the very fact that anyone could be resurrected. There's a fact called resurrection of the dead, that this was indeed possible. And he says, look, if there's no resurrection at all, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. And so the resurrection of Christ, it is that very thing that legitimizes the entire message. It legitimizes the message of the gospel. Now again, there were some in Corinth that just took the view that there, there's no such thing as resurrection. There's, you know, there's no resurrection. No one's coming back from the dead. And this is no different than what you and I might hear today in the 21st century. You have people espousing these types of beliefs. I mean, you know, ask any atheist and they'll tell you, yeah, when you die, when you kick the bucket, when your number's up, that's it. You know, they're going to put you six feet underground or they're going to put you, in a, put you in a room and turn up the flames real high and, you know, come in later and scoop up your ashes and put you in a jar. And there's no resurrection. 
Yeah, that's what they'll tell you. But if there's no resurrection, if no one can be resurrected from the dead, then Jesus is also not risen from the dead. And if Jesus isn't risen, then the whole gospel message falls apart. Then our preaching is, is futile. Our preaching is empty, Paul says. And in fact, our faith in the gospel is empty. Wow. I'd say that the resurrection is a pretty big deal because this whole thing is hinging on this one truth. I think that's what all the fuss is about this weekend, amen? When you drive around, you see all the churches and all the body of Christ celebrating what has happened. That's what it's about because this thing is a really big deal. This thing is really important. The Apostle Paul here responds by telling them that this is contrary to the gospel, that this, this belief is contrary to the entire message of the gospel. You can't say that the dead aren't raised and believe the gospel. And the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the dead is also proof that there is a resurrection. The fact that Jesus did rise is proof that there is resurrection. Amen? Earlier in this, in this chapter, in 1 Corinthians 15, pick it up, verse 4, Paul said this, and he said, and that he was buried... And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brothers at once, of whom the greater part remained of the present, but some have fallen asleep. And that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. And so... Paul is making it clear in this chapter. He's laying it down. He's spelling it out. Make no mistake about it. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. And in fact, he was seen by Peter. Cephas. Yeah, we're, we're kind of, you know, clued into him right now, right? Because we're going through First and Second Peter. But yeah, Peter saw him. And others saw him. As many as 500 saw him. You say, you know, it's a big debate. It's a big thing. Well, what is the proof of the resurrection? Well, the, this very letter is, is, is a proof. The, the very letter of 1 Corinthians is a proof because Paul wrote this not in a vacuum, not in a time capsule, but he wrote this in a city where it, was, it would have been easy to, to go out and corroborate this type of evidence. There, he's even saying that some of this 500 people are still alive to this day. Some have passed on, but some of them are still here on the earth that were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And so really... This letter is a proof of the resurrection because Paul is saying, look, this is the fact of history. It's the fact of history. The resurrection is a big deal because it legitimizes the gospel and thus legitimizes our faith in it. Amen? Look at that skipping down to verse 14. He says, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise from the dead. For if Christ, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile you are still in your sins. Your faith is empty. Your faith is futile. If Christ isn't risen, 
if there's no resurrection, your faith is futile. I want to talk about this word futile just for a second. The word futile. It's a Greek word that it means this. It means devoid of force. Devoid of force, devoid of truth, success, result, useless, of no purpose. Then you, you, you want to come around, you want to have services, you want to gather together. It's nothing, it's nothing more than a get-together. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, our faith is futile, our faith is empty, there's no force behind it, there's no legitimacy behind it. We're just getting together and singing songs and just whiling away the time. Because if God, if Christ is not risen, then our faith is empty, it's futile. If Christ is not risen, then we're simply believing a, a story, really. We're believing a fable. We're believing a story. And Paul, later in this passage, he goes on, he says, look, we're, pity, we're, we're to be pitied. If, if, if we're holding on to something that amounts to nothing more than a story, we're to be pitied. You know, it was, it was Bill Gates who said, that Sunday morning is the biggest waste of time that, that, that occurs throughout the week. And he's speaking specifically of Christians gathering together to, to celebrate Christ and to listen to the word. So this is a waste of time. It's the biggest waste of time. Because the atheist looks at it and says, well, yeah, it's empty. It's futile. It's a waste of time. But it is not. There's another record of the, of the resurrection, and I'm going to read it for you, and it's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, if you want to turn over there, verses 1 through 8. You don't have to, but I'll read it for you tonight. It says this, Now after the Sabbath, at, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. This is the account. This is another account in the Gospel of Matthew that is a, an account of the historicity of the resurrection. And so we have these multiple Letters, we have these multiple books, we have these multiple pieces of, of literature of the time that are attesting to, that people are putting their name on and saying, I am attesting to the truth of this matter, the truth that this is what happened, that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead exactly as it was said in the scriptures. Now, the, script, the resurrection... Again, it legitimizes our faith. It's the linchpin of the whole thing. In fact, it is the part of believing 
that is actually, not only does it legitimize the faith, it is a, a point of belief that actually brings the whole salvation process uh, together. That actually believing upon the resurrection is central to actually being a saved person. And the, the Apostle Paul, in another letter, he put it this way in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and I'll have it up on your screen. This is the way he said it. He said that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So how is it that you're actually saved? How is it that it actually happens that you're saved? Well, it happens by believing upon Jesus, by confessing that he is the Lord. Now, this isn't, this isn't an act of, of linguistics. It, it didn't say by saying that he is the Lord. It said by confessing, by agreeing with God that Jesus is the Lord. And if you agree with that and you say Jesus is the Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, Paul says, you will be saved. There's no other qualifiers there left. That's That's it. That's it. I mean, in fact, when we lead people to salvation, this is... This is part of the Romans road of salvation, amen? This, this is it. I mean, this is where we take people. You want to be saved? You want to, you want to be free? You want to be set free from your sins? You want eternal life? You want to make God your God? You want to make Jesus Christ your Lord? This is it. This is the verse. Then the next verse. Go ahead. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you can say all that, you can say it this way. I mean, the resurrection is a big deal because it legitimizes the gospel, legitimizes our faith. It's the very thing that must be believed upon for a person to actually be saved. If we don't believe in the resurrection, then we have no vital faith. And if Christ's resurrection is not true, then our faith is meaningless anyway. It is the resurrection of Christ that is absolutely crucial to anyone's faith in Christ. Another reason. Another reason that the resurrection of Christ is a big deal is because it clinches forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of Christ clinches the forgiveness of our sins. Paul says in verse 17, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then you are still in your sins. I mean, that's 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 one of those statements. I remember reading that for the first time and having one of those things where we're like, whoa. I mean, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, I'm still in my sins. There is no salvation. There is no remission of sins. There is no forgiveness. There is no work of atonement that's actually taken place because he hasn't resurrected from the dead. If Christ is not risen, you are still in your sins. You see, Jesus is our high priest. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, he says, consider our high priest, Jesus Christ. Jesus was our high priest. You see, Israel had a high priest. He would go in to the Holy of Holies with some blood that was uh, spilt on the brazen altar, and he would take some of that blood. He would, he would carefully walk into that Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of atonement on that mercy seat seven times. And of course, this was all a picture of 
the, the reality, which is heaven. It was all a picture of heaven. The, the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant, the throne of God. And so literally, the priest would literally take the blood of the sacrifice and take it and spill it on the throne of God, the seat, the mercy seat. But you see, this is a copy of what later Jesus would himself do. By being our high priest, he would take his own blood into the Holy of Holies in heaven, and he would make the perfect atonement for you and I uh, there in, in that place. And if Christ is not risen, then that never took place, and we're all still in our sins. And that's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ, man, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Paul goes on, if Christ is not risen, then we are the most pitiable men on the planet. If we hope in Christ only for this life, we're miserable, he says. I mean, because at the, at, at the very least, we're just kind of, we're kind of giving ourselves a story to make our life feel better. I mean, this is the charge of the atheist. The charge of the atheist is uh, you, you, you kind of believe in this. It kind of gets you through life. Whatever, whatever helps you get through. What, what, whatever kind of floats your boat. Whatever helps you get through life. And if that's all it is, then Paul says, look, we're the, we're the most pitiable of all men. Because if the gospel is not true, if there is no God, if Jesus Christ was not the perfect sacrifice, if he did not die on the cross, if he did not rise from the dead, if he did not make the perfect atonement for our sins, then I, 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 you could probably say like the philosophers, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And so the resurrection of Christ is pivotal. pivotal. We have, but, 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 but we don't have hope only in this life. Amen? We don't have a hope that's only for this life. We have a hope that it's for this life and for the one to come. Amen. We have a hope of the resurrection that we will live forever and ever and ever with God. Now, part of this atonement and this forgiveness of sins just is a, is a great picture of what happened on the cross. And, and you know, the whole story, I mean, really, I don't even know where you, you can just kind of enter into the story at any point and pick it up there. You can go that way or that way. There's great stuff that points to the forgiveness of sins. Amen? You pick it up at the trial. You pick it up at the trial of Jesus Christ, and there he is before Pilate, and Pilate is questioning him, Pilate is examining him, and Pilate said at least twice, I find no fault in him. Here, here, here's the Roman uh, ruler of the, of the area, he was the one that was the ruler over that particular, over Judea, and, and, and this man, Pilate, he says, I find no fault in him, this was the declaration. It's a powerful declaration. Because there was no fault for, for you to find, Pilate. <laughs> there was no fault for you to find. He was the perfect man. He's the God man. He, he lived a perfect human life to be the perfect sacrifice, to be our kinsman redeemer on the cross. But the crowd is just asking for the crucifixion. Crucify him. Let's just crucify him. Let's just crucify him. And Pilate 
just in a moment, he, he remembers the custom of giving one of the prisoners back to the, to the people, to the Jewish people at the time of the feasts. And you remember, he, so he pulls out Barabbas. He pulls out Barabbas, and so you have Barabbas and you have Jesus. And so the question goes to the crowd, which one should be released? Which one should be released? And Pilate is thinking, for sure, this is, this is, this, you know, this is going to work. This whole thing, this is going to work. Certainly, they're not going to ask for Jesus to be crucified. I, I found no fault in him. And what does the crowd say? They say, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. This is a picture for us of the forgiveness of sins. Because the, the one who was guilty, the one who deserved to be in prison, the one who deserved everything, he deserved the chains that he was in on that day. The crowd asked that he be set free, and Jesus takes his place. Jesus takes his place. And what does Barabbas mean? Barabbas is Bar, his son. Abbas, Abba, his father, his son of the father. And so in that moment, Jesus takes our place so that you and I could truly become sons of the father. Amen? Amen. And have forgiveness of sins. Our sins are pardoned, forgiven, we go free, and this is all clinched by the resurrection, and that's why it's a big deal. That's why it's a big deal. Now, one more point as we're just finishing through this particular text. The resurrection is a guarantee. The resurrection is a guarantee. Pick it up, verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. What's the big deal about the resurrection? The resurrection is a big deal because Christ's resurrection is a guarantee of our own resurrection. Amen? There, 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 there really couldn't be anything more important for you and me in terms of the resurrection because it's a guarantee of our own future resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is a guarantee of resurrection for all those who believe in him. I mean, it's a proof that there is resurrection, amen? But it's also a guarantee that all who believe in him will also be resurrected, that we'll be resurrected to be with him. There is another guarantee in this passage. It is the guarantee of death. Death came into the world through one man, Paul says. Through one man, Adam, all die. The guarantee of death. It's a guarantee. The man, the man without God is dead in his sins. That's the way Paul would say it. He's, you're already dead. Just physically, you're alive. You're walking dead. You're walking around dead, and you're just counting down the days until the other death, the second shoe hits the floor. But in, so what Paul's saying is in, one, in man, in one man, Adam, all have died, but in one man, Christ, 
all will be made alive. Because Adam died, you will die. No one can cheat death. You and I are going to die. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that even though death came to all through Adam, life is available to all through Jesus. In other words, Jesus offers to everyone the opportunity of everlasting life. The, the, the opportunity of everlasting life. It's a tremendous opportunity. Someone might be here tonight and, and the one thing that you fear is death. If I, if I were to ask you, what are you afraid of? Afraid of the dark? No. Afraid of going broke? No, I don't know. Afraid of what, what, is it, what is it that you're afraid of? Afraid to die? The resurrection of Jesus shattered the only power that Satan has, the fear of mortality. Death was this kind of thing that kind of hung over mankind. We were dead spiritually. We were on our way to death physically. It was, it was this kind of foreboding thing called death. But through the resurrection, the opportunity to be alive and to live forever and ever with God. And that's why later in this passage, he says, where, where, O oh death? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Amen? But let's get back to the guarantee, and we'll finish it up there. The guarantee is this. The guarantee is that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. This is what Paul's saying here. That, that each one in his order, Christ the first fruits... Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. I'm going to give you the, the I was going to say the Reader Digest version, but I mean, I'm going to actually take it down even like, you know, smaller than that, because Reader Digest is like too much for some people today. You know, that, that was a little snippet for like people in the 70s, but today we, we need the, you know, we need something smaller. Amen. This is the ADD and all this stuff and all the gadgets going around and all this stuff. So we need something smaller than the Reader Digest version. God instituted in the Old Testament, he instituted a series of feasts that would be celebrated every year. And what Jesus has done is he's come one by one and he's fulfilled each feast exactly on the day that it was celebrated and commemorated. He was the Passover lamb you, you know this. The Bible tells us, Paul makes the case, he is our Passover lamb. He was crucified at Passover. He celebrated the Passover and he went out and was arrested and crucified at Passover. The blood of the, the, blood of the lamb was still, the Passover lamb was still running while the blood of the lamb was trickling down that cross. He was the Passover lamb. He was put in a tomb after Passover began a feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it's, it's pictured in this week of, of Jesus being in the tomb. When, that night when he was arrested, before that he celebrated Passover. And of course he took the bread of the unleavened bread. He took the unleavened bread and he said this bread this bread is my body, which is broken for you. What was he saying? He was saying, I'm the unleavened bread. This unleavened bread that you've been eating every year at this time, I, I am this. This is my body broken for you. So he fulfills 
unleavened bread. What's the next one? The third one in the lineup is the Feast of First Fruits. And this was a feast that was to take place on the day after the Sabbath of Passover, of, of unleavened bread. The day after of unleavened bread. And so they would, the, the feast would be like this. In Leviticus 23, uh, I'll have the, each verse in succession up there on the screen for you. Verse 9, God said this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheave of the first fruits of your harvest to the priests. Next one. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. On the day after the Sabbath of unleavened bread. So this waving of this sheaf of first fruits, you go in and there's this first harvest in the land. Did you know that they, 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 the children of Israel came over into the land at Passover? They left Egypt at Passover. It was actually 40 days. I mean, it was 40 years to the day that they came over. The first thing that they did in the promised land was eat the Passover meal. And so they would take the the sheaf of the first fruits and they would wave it, the priest would wave it before the Lord. And this was a picture, it was a, this, this sheaf was a first fruits of the rest of the harvest that was going to come. This was just the first fruits of the harvest. And we're praising the Lord. We're praising the Lord for this first fruits. We're praising Jesus. We're praising God for the, not Jesus yet, but you know, we're praising God for the first fruits. Amen. Jesus was resurrected from the dead on the day of first fruits, the, 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 the day after Sabbath of unleavened bread. That's why in this passage that we just read, Paul is making the case. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first fruits of the resurrection because he's come back to life. There's going to be a, another wave of harvest that's coming. And so we wave the first fruits sheep before the Lord and we thank God for all that he's done bringing Jesus Christ back from the dead, but we're going to be part of that second wave, that second harvest that's going to be a part of the final resurrection. And so really, when you look at first fruits, when you look at the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is a guarantee of our future resurrection in him. Amen? It's an awesome picture. It's an awesome picture of, of what he's done. Amen? I'll close it off with this. Earlier tonight, we sang a song. It's called Oh, Praise the Name. And it has a kind of a subtitle, I guess. It's called Anastasis. Anastasis. And Anastasis is a word in the Greek. It's actually the word for resurrection. And if you look at the song, if you look at the lyrics, and maybe go home and put Oh, Praise the Name Hillsong lyrics and Google that and pull up the lyrics so you can read them and you can look at them. What the song does is it traces from the crucifixion to the burial to the resurrection of Christ. And then you get to that last verse where it talks about, where it says, I will rise with the saints, right? 
So it's, it's, a, it's a song, really, that depicts exactly what I'm talking about here. In fact, this is the way it says it in that third verse. It says, and I'll have it on the screen for you, He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. For endless days we will sing your praise, O Lord, O Lord our God. And so, really, the resurrection is a big deal because it's a guarantee of our future resurrection. Amen? So, what's the big deal about the resurrection of Jesus? Man, it's the biggest deal going. It's the most important thing that ever happened, and it's the most consequential thing that ever happened because it guarantees our life in him, those of us that have faith to believe upon the resurrection and upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It guarantees that we truly have been freed from our sins and we're no longer dead in our sins, and it guarantees our future resurrection with him for all those who believe in him. And so tonight, there's no one, there's no reason that anyone should leave here. There's no reason that anyone should leave here without absolute certainty that Jesus Christ is your Lord and he's risen from the dead and that you are going to rise with him in that time.